This Climate One podcast is sponsored by General Motors. How will we power our future? Can we create a healthy and clean economy? Climate One at the Commonwealth Club is at the forefront of the global debate about energy, economy, and the environment. Bringing together the brightest and most provocative leaders of our time, Climate One is the place where big ideas get heard. With thoughtful and insightful discussions on policy, business, science, and culture, Climate One founder Greg Dalton gets to the heart of the matter. It's our future. It's time to come together. I'm Greg Dalton, and today we're talking about energy and consciousness with Deepak Chopra and businessman Ronaldo Brutico. On average, Americans spend less than 10 minutes a year thinking about their electric bill. Most people spend more time agonizing over the price of gasoline unless they drive an electric car. It costs the equivalent of a dollar a gallon to run on electricity. Shifting the way a person powers their car and their life often involves thinking differently about energy, economics, and perhaps even happiness. Over the next hour, we will talk about changing fuels and changing our minds. Along the way, we'll include questions from our live audience here at the Commonwealth Club of California in San Francisco. Deepak Chopra is a physician, speaker, and author of many books, including The Soul of Leadership. His latest book, co-authored with Rudolf Tanzi, is Superbrain, Unleashing the Explosive Power of Your Mind to Maximize Health, Happiness, and Spiritual Well-Being. Ronaldo Brutico is an entrepreneur and founding president of the World Business Academy in Santa Barbara. He's president of the Chopra Foundation. Please welcome them to Climate One. Ronaldo Brutico, I want to start with you and ask you, when you first realized that climate change was a serious challenge for you in your lifetime and what could be done about it? Well, 19 years ago, we started the Energy Task Force of the World Business Academy looking at the question of the end of oil. That led through, and we were agnostic. We're business people. We're just looking for what comes next. And it became clear to us over a period of time that the entire planet would convert from a scarcity consciousness of energy to an abundant consciousness. And that would mean switching from fossil fuels to hydrogen, to the hydrogen economy. And then we had this event, Deepak and I, uh, down in Puerto Rico, he was leading and I was helping with, where uh, a guy named um, Al Gore showed up with this slide. I was going to hit this like round slide carousel underneath his arm. Two Secret Service agents and nobody following him because he was still sort of in exile at that point. And he wanted to try out in Puerto Rico, which is where this was, he wanted to try out this new idea for this idea he was going to call an inconvenient truth. So he does this slideshow, a room five times bigger than this, full of people, erupts in applause constantly. And of course, it gets to the famous hockey stick diagram, and the, and the entire crowd realized for the first time what was up. And that's when I crossed over and realized it could be done. We could change people's consciousness, their belief about the energy system. Deepak Chopra, tell us about uh, there's a, a, something called the Barefoot University in India that's one of those stories of hope and change and transformation. So the university in India was founded by an engineer who after he finished college, went to the village of his ancestors and he found extreme poverty there and he decided to abandon his career, which he was envisaging, and work to help the local community. And he found that grandmothers were the only people who would listen to him because they had nothing else to do other than play with their kids. So he trained them to become solar engineers. 
Now he has uh, literally tens of thousands of grandmothers who are solar engineers, and they come from all over the world. The only qualification is you don't need to have an education, and you need to be a grandmother. And um, they come from Libya and Afghanistan. In fact, I saw a picture he sent to me of an Afghani woman standing like this next to a Taliban and saying, don't you talk to me like that. I'm a solar engineer. Uh, and uh, they are actually building solar communities, solar villages, solar homes, uh, not only all over India, but uh, Africa now and the Middle East and so on. And these women have no education, but they know how to solarize a facility. I interviewed him in New York, and there were a lot of Wall Street people there who asked him if he needed help, and he said, no, if you come in, you'll be the problem. Money is uh, not the solution, money is the problem. So there, there you have an epiphany right there. This is what we're talking about is not theoretical. We're talking about something that's very practical. My epiphany, by the way, my moment was when my seven-year-old grandson asked me uh, if he was going to live to my age or was he going to become a climate refugee. And uh, I was totally amazed that a seven-year-old kid would be asking this question. But the kids uh, at that age now are watching YouTube and they go online. They know what the conversation is about right now. So what did you say to him? I apologized. I said, we messed it up for you, and now we're looking to you for the solution. And how would you characterize the urgency or uh, severity of, of the challenge before us right now with regard to changing the way we power the world economy? Well, you know, the Buddha said once, or so it's... So it's quoted that when your house is burning, you don't analyze the causes of who did it and who's responsible, who lit the match, you put out the fire. Our planet is burning right now, and this is an emergency. It's really irrelevant to even talk about what the causes are, but it's obvious that this is the one thing that if we address properly, it is the solution to peace, social justice, economic justice, a sustainable planet, but also a sustainable biology, and ultimately health and happiness. And if people recognize the challenge, what can they do to, to help bring about this change? Is it specific actions they take in their life, or is it more about their thinking, and then we'll get Ronaldo Brutico in here on okay, someone? In my mind, there are three things that should happen simultaneously. One is the way we do science. Right now, the way we do science is based on a model called reductionism, which looks at the planet and the universe, basically, as in bits and pieces, okay? Which is a wrong model, you know? It's, it's, not, it's not even real science. So science has to be uh, looking at the universe as an undivided wholeness, where our biology is the biology of the ecosystem. You know, we are the ecosystem here, right here, okay? So we are the recycling of the planet. Our body is, the recy is recycled dust. Our rivers are our circulation. And the sun and the air and the trees 
our, our breath and vital force. So we have to start doing science in a way that makes sense, that we include our biology as an expression of the ecosystem. The second shift has to be emotional and spiritual. I have to see that the universe is my extended body, and I have to care for it as I care for my own body. And the third is that it has to be practical, and it has to generate wealth. So as Ronaldo said earlier, we have to move from scarcity consciousness, which is fossil fuels, is scarcity consciousness. It is the reason why we have wars. It is the reason why there's extreme economic and social injustice. And it is the reason we are poisoning our own bodies. So we need to feel that emotionally, and uh, therefore that shift. The third, as I said, is if you move from scarcity consciousness to abundance consciousness, this source of enormous wealth, you know, if we understand that energy is infinite, that the oceans, the uh, rivers, the wind, the sun, and even space in the near future, are the source of infinite energy, then we will actually look at the technologies that are there, the sun and the wind and, um, and microgrids and all the uh, new technologies that are cropping up right now, including energy-saving devices. This needs to become immediately the next uh, movement just as you know, the space program gave uh, birth in a way to Silicon Valley, and now Southern California, epigenetics and genetics understanding is giving birth to biotechnologies, and these are companies are becoming extremely wealthy. If we truly understand that sustainability is the key to wealth consciousness, then we can create wealth from the infinite abundance of the universe that comes to us through energy. Ronaldo Brutico, we, we're talking about abundance and scarcity. So how do we move from this scarcity to abundance? Some would say that clean energy is the biggest business opportunity ever in the history of the world. No, it is. There's no question that it is. We, we have a chart we published. In fact, uh, I'd be happy to share it. Every time the human society has switched fuel systems, so when it went from running water to wood, from wood to coal, coal to oil, and now recently to natural gas, and then on to hydrogen, every time it switches, you get this massive increase in global national wealth. GDP goes up dramatically. So our calculations are that the current GDP of the planet, which is 64 trillion on an annual basis, will reach somewhere between 350 to 650 trillion dollars over a period of 10 to 15 years as you're implementing this uh, system. You'll you hit the full benefit at the end of that 10 or 15 years if you went straight ahead and did it. Now, think about that buys. Think of all the problems that you don't have if you have an extra, instead of 64 trillion, you have an extra 350 trillion. Think of what that buys. All of a sudden, we don't have to make the kind of choices we are about infrastructure, education, rising status of women, developing in the, in the industrial, non-industrial world. All these issues start to go away when you switch from scarcity to abundance. I'll just leave you with one other thought. In the last 10 years, the cost of um, wind energy has dropped by over 75% and is still dropping. The cost of solar energy has dropped by over 90% is still dropping. 
And that has unleashed enormous amounts of wealth. So here we are sitting on the edge of Silicon Valley. We should be the people wanting to own the development of these technologies and to pursue them globally. And it will create a world you cannot imagine. But some of those technologies are still out of reach for many people, particularly in the developing world, Deepak Chopra, in India, a lot of people can't afford an electric car, they can't afford any car, they can't afford solar power. So how is this going to be accessible if it's still more expensive than fossil fuels? If it's not, that's a fallacy. It's what you uh, put your attention on, really, that is going to create the change. If um, people in India, uh, the poor people in India, as has been shown through the grandmother's example, are their resources are harnessed for this in, in Africa. In fact, India, Africa, and China could uh, power the world right now if we paid attention to it. And this is an opportunity, actually, to um, uh, even uh, enlist the help of our perceived enemies. I think uh, the best way to get rid of your enemies is to increase their capacity for economic growth, for health, for happiness, and for sustainability. Does, this is the solution to war. Does yeah. that mean you're going to go into the boardrooms of oil and coal companies and do meditation and yoga and try to, like, how do you, that will help, but uh, remember, <laughs> uh, that will help. But, uh, but, but uh, Rinaldo can tell you more about this. He and I are uh, very involved in a, in a venture right now, sure. a nonprofit called Just Capital, um, because Rinaldo likes to go into specifics and I like to shoot the breeze. Uh, <laughs> I'll let him tell you about Just Capital. Yeah. So just capital, is that changing capitalism in some way? Yeah, so um, the, the initials J-U-S-T in caps stand for just capital. This is an idea Deepak came up with about two years ago because when he shoots the breeze, he shoots it with some fascinating ideas. And so some of us are going to kind of follow along and go, okay, how can we see that make it practical? How do we make that into something that people can actually do? So he's chairman of the board of an organization called Just Capital based in New York. Uh, Paul Tudor Jones, the head of Robin Hood Foundation, is the vice chairman. Uh, Ariana Huffington's on the board with us, Ray Chambers. Um, Mike Mikowski, the founder of Tom Shoes. Uh, Paul Ciala, Alan Fleischman. There's a whole bunch of really interesting people who are on that board and more are coming on every day. And we have four objectives on that board. One is to demonstrate conclusively. Our first major study will be out in 2016. Uh, that's how long we are working on this before we get it to pop. The first objective is to change the consciousness of executives in, in, in the financial institutions so that they see they can make more money supporting sustainable values over the long haul. So change the metrics that Wall Street uses to evaluate commercial success. Number two, shift the consciousness of the executives in those companies so they can see themselves getting a fatter paycheck by doing the right thing and being in a sustainable operation over a longer period of time. Third, shift the consciousness of the, uh, of the public sector so that political figures recognize that businesses are not only capable of doing the right thing, must be encouraged to do the right thing and to work with those elements in the business community that are. And the fourth one is to change the consciousness of the public at large so that the public begins to put its, its attention on those companies that really are in unison or alignment with their deep values. Because when you do that, the activities of that company will, will excel. 
So we, we'll be publishing a ranking of the top 1,000 companies in the United States, public companies, based on what the public of the United States believes are the most just values for corporate behavior. Now, uh, socially conscious investing, socially responsible investing has been around for a long time. Hasn't changed capitalism that much. It's kind of a niche thing you know, in terms of incorporating social values into investing. Deepak Chopra, is this time different? I think the only way you change consciousness right now is first having a conversation like the one we are having. Secondly, enlisting the help of media as much as you can because media takes that conversation and can help you reach critical mass. So the media that we're uh, being exposed to right now, but you know, media includes internet, it includes uh, other social networks, it includes Twitter and Facebook and every possible outlet that we can have to engage in this conversation because it's an emergency. The second thing you do is you change, um, we bring this conversation into education. And that particularly in business school, you know, the idea of just capital came to me because I was teaching a class. I teach a class at Kellogg Business School called The Soul of Leadership, but then I recently started uh, teaching a class at Columbia Business School, which is called um, Cause-Driven Marketing and Just Capitalism. And it's based on the idea that if you can create a capitalistic society that uh, is looking at major issues around the world, particularly sustainability, and you create a business out of it, that you will be the business of the future. So in my class, we have 50 students. And we, at the end of the course, and Ronaldo has spoken at the class, amongst other people, including Paul Trudeau Jones, um, we divide the class into teams of five. So we have 10 teams. And on the last day of the class, the teams make a presentation to venture capitalists. And they have to come up with a business plan that justifies this term, cause-driven marketing and just capitalism. And actually, it's very interesting because our venture capitalists who come as judges have actually now started funding some of these students who are coming up with absolutely brilliant ideas on how to recycle toilet water and make it uh, drinkable, on how to recycle um, through biophilia, uh, even in apartment buildings, create energy, etc. And these are kids, basically, who are doing this. So I think education is a very important part, but media is even more important. And then the third is, I think, entertainment. If we can get, um, you know, the big entertainers who command such a huge audience to really push these causes, sustainability is the key to our biological sustainability, but it's also the key to everything else. And so I think we need to harness all these resources, and otherwise nobody will know that, uh, what did you call it, um, social uh, investing. Uh, is such a big uh, enterprise already. How many trillions of dollars? Yeah. Right now, the, uh, in the U.S., it's a $6.5 trillion investment market every day, every day. That's how much dollars is invested every day in mutual funds in this area. $16.8 trillion globally. So it wasn't, it's not like a sideshow anymore. It, and by the way, it has the fastest compounded annual growth rate over the last 10 years of any sector of investing. But people so, need to know this. More people. 
If you're just joining us, our guests today at the Commonwealth Club are Deepak Chopra, the author and physician, and Ronaldo Brudico, who's founding president of the World Business Academy. I'm Greg Dalton. Uh, Divest Invest is one branch of this. So, Ronaldo Brudico, tell us about Divest Invest and how that's different than, say, some of the moral arguments about apartheid uh, today. Yeah, so, Bill McKibben of 350.org has led this campaign for two years with some success now saying that owning oil company stocks is the same as owning stocks in South Africa during the days of apartheid. That there's a moral obligation to divest from those stocks and invest in the stocks of the future, which are life-sustaining, i.e. green technologies. We um, in the academy for the last six months have been talking about that, not only in terms of the moral imperative, but we predicted on a national radio show almost six months ago now, that oil company stocks would go sideways or down from this point forward so that divesting is actually a good economic decision, whether you believe in the moral argument, which I happen to. So I'm a big fan and have been for two years of divest invest, but I was delighted to be able to declare about five or six months ago, oil company stocks are at their all-time high. Get out of them. Sell them. They're not going up. They're only going to go down. And you'll see more evidence of that in months and years to come. But. China, India is ravenous for fossil fuels to bring people out of poverty. Coal demand is actually going up. It's going down in the United States, but it's going up globally. People want that lifestyle that we have, and they're, they're hungry for it, Ronaldo. Well, actually, the coal thing is, mis is, 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 is misunderstood. So, for example, Germany right now has a spike in coal consumption for the last year and a half because they're switching over to the massive North Sea windmills. When those connect, which they're going to be connected in about three or four months, that will drop coal consumption in Germany dramatically. What they did is they chose to use coal for this one last spurt to get over to wind. So Germany is at about little, it'll be over 30% of its total energy comes from renewables within six months. The second thing you should know is in those countries, like China, where they are dependent on coal still, China's growth in renewables has outstripped every country on the planet in terms of solar and wind so badly so that the projections we had as recently as five years ago of how much wind there would be in China have all, were exceeded within the first nine months after the projection was made. So China is moving very, very fast on solar, and they know why. So, I, I, And by the way, there's a $350 billion prize that's just been set up by the Politburo in, in, just to clean the air in Beijing. So they've become clear that they're killing their people and it's a bad source of long-term investment. Watch how fast China moves. The reason we have cheap solar in America is because of China. Deepak Chopra. You, you don't get rid of an old model by attacking it, as right. uh, Buckminster Fuller said. You can only get rid of an old model by uh, creating a new model that makes the old model obsolete. And India's need right now is for energy. And again, Ronaldo can speak to the specifics of, uh, of bringing energy to the point where it is created, where it is utilized, the microgrids. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people know about microgrids, uh, but I think uh, yeah. you should speak well, to that. Basically, in the 19th century, we came up with the idea of a long copper wire was the only way you could have a telephone. And as long as we were stuck with that idea, 23% of the people on the planet had telephones. Today, 90% of the people on the planet have phones. And the reason is we gave up the idea you have to have a copper wire in between. And that's why a woman in a village in India can talk to somebody and know what price to put on her vegetables that day. The same thing is true with energy. When you give up the 19th century belief that you have to drag long wires down a state like California for 1,000 miles, losing 50% of the total energy you create just in line loss, 
just moving it around 50%. That is why you create microgrids. Create the energy where you want to use it, use it there. And California will be, I think, a series of microcomb, uh, honeycomb microgrids. So if this is so optimistic, why aren't more people and more capital rushing in this direction? Because it's not part of our collective conversation. You know, shifts happen in collective consciousness when that consciousness reaches tipping point or critical mass. That's why we're having this conversation. There's also something, Deepak Chopra, you've written about. Uh, life experiences trigger genes. So how does the thoughts we have and the experiences we have change our genes and our minds at, at a physical level? Okay, actually, there's a, a, an article in the San Francisco Chronicle, which uh, if you go online, you can find on SFGate. Uh, we at the Chopra Foundation, uh, along with, uh, with several institutions, scientists from several institutions, including from San Francisco, Elizabeth Blackburn, who won the Nobel Prize in the year 2009 uh, in, in biology, in genetics, and medicine, for describing the enzyme called telomerase. So we have her as a collaborator. Rudy Tanzi from Harvard uh, is the head of genetics and neuroscience, neurology there. Uh, we have scientists from Mount Sinai in New York and also from Duke University, UC, SD, and Scripps. This is the most ambitious study ever done and in process at the moment. There's already evidence that if you experience the following five things, uh, good sleep every night, okay, uh, meditation uh, as a tool for stress management, uh, movement, exercise, yoga, breathing, but any movement, um, a diet that doesn't contain fossil fuels, uh, because our diets are basically fossil fuel diets. I hope you know that that anything that's processed, manufactured, comes in a can or has a label, <laughs> is actually petroleum, um, uh, is, has petroleum in it, Agent Orange. <laughs> if it kills insecticides, which have the same DNA as you, it's surely going to kill you. So uh, a healthy diet and, um, and healthy emotions, such as love, compassion, joy, equanimity, these five things influence the activity of your genes. So you have 23,000 genes, approximately. The human uh, genome is about 23,000 genes, which is actually a few thousand less than the common potato. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's not the genes that make you. It's how those genes are activated. Okay, So this is the new science called epigenetics which means that our life experiences, including our thoughts, our emotions, our personal relationships, our social interactions, and the choices that we make every day, they change the behavior of our genes. And in fact, there's a process, there's a chemical process that occurs, it's called methylation, and that this behavior of the genes can actually be transmitted to the next generation. Animals already, we have this evidence that three generations down the line, your stresses, your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your relationships are going to influence not only your children, but your grandchildren. And that includes the father's um, uh, genes expressions. So we're doing this 
collaborative study based on a previous study that we just finished where we showed that uh, in about four days of the practice of meditation, the enzyme telomerase, which influences the length of telomeres, which are like little buttons at the end of your chromosomes, um, by 30%. Just simply sitting, closing your eyes, and experiencing silence sets up a process of self-regulation. So this ambitious study, which we are embarking on right now, based on other previous studies, that have shown in bits and pieces that consciousness influences biology, okay? And today we are seeing that the biology is not just your little biology squeezed into the volume of a body or the span of a lifetime, but your biology is the biology of the ecosystem. So I'm, I know I'm, I'm carrying on about this because I'm so passionate, <laughs> but 90% of the DNA in your body is not human DNA. It's microbial DNA. So, you know, uh, it, although the body mass of the microbial DNA is only about 3%, the genetic information in your body, 90% of it is bacteria. They're in our skin, they're in our folds, in our hair follicles, in our GI tract, in our orifices. And you are literally a microbial colony with a few human cells <laughs> hanging on to it. Now, when you look at this microbial colony, you'll find that it spans evolution. It goes back all to the first primitive organisms in our biological evolution. So you are the ecosystem of our planet since the beginning of life. Now, this is a major insight that we are an ecosystem of the planet right this moment in space and time um, since the beginning of life. And what we do to this ecosystem, we do to ourselves. Even things like earthquakes and tectonic plates, you know, shifting is related to the state of hydration of the earth, which is related to climate change, which is related to changing weather patterns, which is related to how we use fossil fuels and our behaviors. We in a way, all the natural disasters that are occurring, if you really go deep down into it, they can be linked to our behavior right now, which has estranged us from, in fact, the very word environment is a silly word. We have a personal body, we have a universal body, and they're both equally ours. And I also want to put in a plug, the, as Deepak just said, the Chopra Foundation is extraordinarily committed to this research along with all these other institutions he mentioned. If you'd like more information about it or how you could even participate in the study, it's called the SBTI study. Contact the Chopra Foundation and we'd be happy for you to learn more. SBTI stands for Self-Directed Biological Transformation Initiative. Sounds good, huh? So, you know, it's kind of today's science. You, we were talking about this 30 years ago intuitively, but it's today's science. Joining us at the Commonwealth Club today, our guests are author and MD Deepak Chopra and Ronaldo Brutico. And if you heard him, I believe you just said that if you're listening to the Commonwealth Club or coming to the Commonwealth Club, it's improving your consciousness and your DNA. Oh, that's, right. That's, this, <laughs> by the way, and this not being facetious, at <clears throat> this moment the genes in your neurons are being activated in a way that's healthy for you just as a result of that insight. And if people are watching us somewhere else on the internet or soon will be, their genes will be activated. 
So, you know, this makes sense. You, you can send somebody an emoticon on, on, on their uh, email. You give them a dopamine hit. <laughs> okay? Okay. All you do is send something through wireless technology, and, uh, or you can say something threatening to them, and their cortisol goes up, and their immune system shuts down. <laughs> Why didn't we know this on the basis of common sense? We have to spend millions of dollars now to actually prove that this is biologically true, that you are not your genes. You are. You're in charge of your genes, just like you're not in charge. You're not your brain. You're in charge of your brain. You talked about the importance of sleep. You teach at Kellogg. You teach at Columbia. Lots of books. Do you sleep? <laughs> My active state is as restful as your sleep. <laughs> uh, okay. <All> right. <laughs> Got no, nothing for that, yeah. <laughs> if you're just joining us, I'm Greg Dalton. We're talking with Deepak Chopra and Ronaldo Brutico at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. Let's talk about identity and consumers. We tend to identify ourselves as consumers. You've painted a very eloquent picture for who we are and what we are. Are we consumers? Should we think of ourselves as consumers? Because that's certainly the way a lot of us seek pleasure. We are luminous stardust beings with self-awareness. The stuff in your body was manufactured in the crucible of stars. In fact, the carbon in your fingernails and the oxygen uh, that makes a hemoglobin molecule could have also come from a different galaxy. So you are literally star stuff with consciousness, of course. I think the word consumer is such an ugly word. Okay, just close your eyes and think consumption and consumer and see the, the pictures that conjures up for you, okay? And that's, that's another word that is, and words are powerful, they become memes in our collective consciousness. We should get rid of that word, consumer. Luminous stardust being with awareness. <laughs> that's who I am anyway. You're, you're very successful, you're all over the place. Uh, when's the last time you rode in a private jet? I constantly get asked um, as a favor, you know, I'm going to a conference and there are lots of wealthy people and there are lots of uh, entrepreneurs these days from Silicon Valley and there are lots of Hollywood people who have private jets. So they constantly um, offer me rides. And uh, I fly, and this is not an endorsement, but I fly JetBlue or Southwestern, if I can get a flight to a town like that, and you know, to a place with these airlines, because they're economical and uh, they cost less, and uh, I travel alone most of the time. So, I make lame excuses when I'm offered um, a private plane uh, ride. I don't want to offend people by saying, "Oh no, it's not good for the climate," etc. Although I, I do feel that it's not a good idea, but. Somehow I don't have the guts yet to say that to friends who are being kind of very nice to me. So I, I get out of it, but I don't fly private planes, no. Do they sense any hypocrisy? Green, Hollywood green people flying jets around, pretending to be well, green? Well, they take the jet, and then when from the airport, they take a Prius. <laughs> oh. 
Ronaldo Brutico, what do you do to, to on your own personal carbon footprint? Oh, gee. Um, first of all, I'm delighted that the, I've been purchasing vehicles since uh, the early 70s that were, uh, and my main criterion was how uh, ec economically efficient are they with fuel. Uh, so uh, I still own the first Prius I ever bought 12 years ago, which my daughter drives. I've got my own current Prius, which I've had for about five years now. So to me, number one is trying every way I can to reduce it. In fact, I'm about to sell my Prius to get a Volt because I want to support that technology. And, and then I want to get my hydrogen vehicle as soon as my gas station is with hydrogen is open in Santa Barbara. So I tend to look at it that way. Number two, like Deepak, I really try to be a conscious of my carbon footprint. Uh, and that's true in, in the way you d dispose of things at home. Uh, how much do you recycle uh, versus how much do you throw away? And I could go through all the different categories. I think that the, e the issue, though, is how conscious are you about what you consume because I agree with Deepak, being a consumer is almost an insult. I'd like to think that I'm <clears throat> maybe not as luminous as he is, but a luminous being of star stuff, and I'd like to be able to enjoy that. <laughs> Deepak Chopra is showing his New York Metro card as a badge of honor here. You know, I cannot remember the last time I took a cab in New York City. I spend more than 50% of my time in New York City when I'm in a place like San Francisco. If I have to take a vehicle, then I'll get the cheapest Uber or something like that. But otherwise, you know, it's good for your health to walk, to take the subway. And you remember movement is one of our key ways to stay sustainable. So um, we should get rid of the idea that we need private vehicles. I don't own one. My wife still does in La Jolla in California because we go back and forth. So she drives, but I've given up my driver's yeah. license. To, to this point, just to, uh, for all of you, um, I, I've taken Amtrak twice in the last week, uh, week and a half, once to go see Deepak in Carlsbad instead of driving my car, which is a Prius, and once to go to Los Angeles for a day for a meeting and back again. Now, it takes a little longer unless you're at rush hour, but think of what we save when we use Amtrak and think of how that promotes rail. We're the country that invented transcontinental railways, and we're the worst railway system in the developed world. So uh, that's another example. I'm a little afraid of the subways in New York because I don't know them like he does, but I sure love the metro in Washington and in London. I love it. <laughs> and just for the people I, in case you, you know, can't the New York, see. New York subways, they're the safest place to be in. I wasn't worried know? about the fear. No. <laughs> so it's the confusion, Deepak. It's the different colored lines that crisscross. What? You know where to get off and get on. Yeah. And for those who can't see, Deepak Chopra is wearing a very snazzy set of uh, shoes that are some of the most snazzy shoes I've seen up here on this stage uh, <laughs> that probably help you in the, in the New York subway. Um, <laughs> Ronaldo Brutico, some people think that the climate challenge can't be addressed without nuclear power, fossil-free fuel. What's your view? Absolutely false. In fact, please take me up on this. We wrote a definitive white paper, uh, which we released about three months ago, two, three months ago, on why nuclear is not the answer to climate change. And my first book on nuclear was published in 1997. Uh, it was published by Simon & Schuster as a college textbook. To this day, it still has not been refuted. No piece of it has ever been refuted. And uh, we publish constantly in the academy on nuclear. The book outside right there, Freedom from Mideast Oil, has chapter five, which I personally named uh, nuclear, uh, a mistake in search of a mission. That's, please, a mistake in search of a mission. Think of that. 
Okay. So my idea would be to tell you that please look into nuclear very, very deeply. The white paper is available from the World Business Academy. It's on our site. It would explain to you why it's economically crazy. It's environmentally insane. Every nuclear power plant in America off-gasses a highly toxic radioactive isotope called strontium-90. It's the only source of strontium-90 on the planet since we stopped doing above-ground nuclear testing. We now have more strontium-90 in the air in America than we did when Jack Kennedy personally stopped above-ground nuclear testing. So I could go on and on. I won't, but please get a copy of that paper so you can educate your friends. That's what we're trying to do. Nuclear is not the answer on any level, and it's financially crazy as well. Did you not play a role in the shutting down of the nuclear yeah. plant? So we were the business group that led the shutdown of the San Onofre nuclear power plant recently. Which uh, is a, a plant in Southern California. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, our job as business people was to, to analyze the technology and like the engineering, which is what we're really good at, as well as the economics, because they stack these documents are so high uh, of, of bad numbers. So our, our uh, our friends there called Friends of the Earth, there's our affiliate in that case. Uh, they call on us to do that kind of heavy lifting while they do the environmental stuff. We put in for a $1.5 billion rebate after the case was over, uh, and the uh, utility had offered $95 million to make up for some of the damage they did. They've now signed a document that they'll do $1.4 billion, and we're still dickering over the last $100 million right now as I speak. But uh, San Onofre will never reopen again. And the next one we have to close, and the last one is Diablo Canyon. So please do go to our website. All you need is an earthquake, and you could have Fukushima right here. Yeah, and, and, and the, the number one safety inspector at Diablo Canyon, uh, Michael Peck, PhD, of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, wrote a report June last year saying this plant is probably operating illegally beyond its permit because the fault lines that are here, we didn't know when we built it. And if you look at those fault lines, this plant's not capable of withstanding the earthquake that could hit Diablo Canyon. Now, we just had a 6.2 Richter scale earthquake a couple hundred miles away. If that had been to the west and a little bit south, you wouldn't be having this conversation today because everything in Central California would be evacuated. If you're just joining us, I'm Greg Dalton, and we're talking about energy and consciousness today at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club with author and physician Deepak Chopra and Ronaldo Brudico, president of the Chopra Foundation. I want to ask one question about forgiveness, and then we're going to go to our audience questions. Uh, we've talked about divesting from fossil fuels. Deepak Chopra, do you think that fossil fuel executives are evil? Are they the black hats? And can you forgive them for some of... They are uh, localized expressions of our collective consciousness. So we cannot judge them as evil because they do what we all are doing. And they're just, you know, the manifestation, as I said, localized expression of our collective consciousness. So no, they are not evil. We can't judge them as people. We can't judge corporations also in the same way. As I said before, unless we have a shift in our consciousness collectively, uh, we'll keep manifesting our collective pathology. What we call normal today is the psychosis of our collective consciousness. And we take it for granted. It's not normal. It's average. Do you ever feel, is there any guilt involved in that? People feel guilty for what we're doing, we're part of? Yeah, but guilt is not the solution. You know, I know religions have been built on <laughs> institutions of guilt, <laughs> but guilt is never a solution. You have to go beyond guilt. You actually have to go beyond uh, hope 
even because hope is a sign of despair. You have to find that place inside you, which is the creative um, center of yourself, which is also the creative center of the cosmos. Because in the end, you know, at the deepest level of our being, uh, we are that singularity. Are you hopeful that humanity will rise to the climate challenge? I'm not hopeful, I'm realistic. <laughs> and realistic means that uh, we have to be the change we want to see in the world, otherwise we're doomed. Let's go to audience questions. <laughs> Welcome to Climate One at the Commonwealth Club, yes. For those of us that are everyday people, what can I do as a citizen who doesn't want to call myself a consumer, but a citizen advocate to learn more about how I can have clean and renewable energy in my hometown? I know you're working on the California moonshot. What can I do to learn about that? And what can I do today to try to have renewable energy in my community in California? We've, we've collected 1,250 people in Santa Barbara since February 1st of this year just by having a meeting that started with 20 people in my living room. And, and now it's over 100 people a month, every month we have it. I would urge you, if you care, start it in your living room. See how many people show up every month to talk about what we can do. Every month we have a different project. Somebody comes forward. Five and a half months ago, six months ago, we, we were asked, would you also support Measure P, which down our way is the anti-fracking ordinance? We said, sure. Let's get involved with that. So a bunch of our people who came for one thing ended up doing something else. So the short answer is, don't wait for somebody else to take the lead. Nothing is as powerful as one person deciding to make a difference and doing whatever they can. And I also would say, don't let the fact that you can't do everything be the reason that you don't do something. We're talking about energy and consciousness at the Commonwealth Club with Deepak Chopra and Ronaldo Brutico. Let's have our next audience question. Uh, my question revolves around a socioeconomic basis of this discussion. Let's say global wealth does quintuple. What about the distribution of that global wealth? Look at this country. In the last 20 years, we have a diminished wealth in almost all but a small percentage of the population. What is going to keep the society we live in now from quintupling those guys at the top and still having a village in India or maybe a village in America who will not have electricity, not have running water, they'll not have sewage? We have a social problem as well as an energy problem. How will you address that? The word sustainability means social justice and economic justice. So we have to expand our definition of sustainability. I think this is actually an opportunity to empower the deprived with um, wealth uh, that they create themselves, for themselves. You give them the tools to do it, as, as the way our friend with the um, Barefoot University is doing. And we need a movement around that in the world. Ronaldo Brutico, distribution. Yeah, I think it's probably the biggest thing wrong with the United States. And by the way, it's not as bad a problem most other industrial countries in the world. It's much worse here. And it's gotten worse, as you know, every decade since World War II. Um, it is causing people in this country to be less and less educated than the prior generation. It's, it, it, it's been the source of so many ills, and, and I think it's corrupted our politics. So apart from Citizens United, the fact that we are able to have so few people, the top 1%, benefit 80% of all the gains since the end of the recession, 80% went to the top 1%. That's wrong, and we have to politically stop that. You know, Thomas Jefferson once said, in a democracy, the people 
inevitably get better than they deserve. In other words, if you don't go out and make it happen in democracy, it's going to happen to you. So I urge you to consider that. Um, and I also think we need to push on media to start being news-oriented instead of entertainment-oriented because people are very confused about what news is. Next question. Welcome. There was a movie a few years ago called Who Killed the Electric Car? And somebody in there said something like, there's $100 trillion worth of oil remaining in the ground, and the men who make money off that will not let anything get in their way. How does consciousness interrupt this? Thank you. Deepak Chopra. We are that consciousness. And I keep coming back to the same idea that I shared earlier. You don't fight it. You make it obsolete. Our collective consciousness is what creates legislation. Our collective consciousness is what creates um, change in behavior. There was a time when everybody was smoking in public spaces, but collective consciousness chose to change that. There was a time when you could drive and drink at the same time, but collective consciousness changed that. And that's the only solution. Otherwise, you don't, you don't get rid of an ideology or a system by killing it because you can't kill an idea. The same way you don't get rid of a terrorist by killing the terrorist because it's like the ideology of terrorism is like Medusa's head. You kill one and two more come. You have to shift in collective consciousness because those people who are in charge are us in a different uniform. There, there's an amazing shift of consciousness happening right this second. It's been going on for about a week or so now over uh, the Ravens. Rice. Okay, we have decided as a population, the NFL did not decide this. They've been burying these cases for years. We've decided it's no longer okay to beat women. That's an amazing change of consciousness. Okay, now it hasn't taken root yet. So you're having the, the you're going to have the ripples of this for quite some time. But the public has now made a decision. It's quite clear that the NFL has no choice. It is not acceptable to beat women. And if it's not acceptable in the NFL, it means it's not acceptable in Oakland or San Francisco or Santa Barbara. So this is a huge shift in consciousness that's just happening as we are sitting here today. Let's watch for those and let's celebrate them. The world is our conversation. That's right. And you know, Ray Anderson, who, who passed away not too long ago, was a good friend of ours in the academy with Deepak and I. And he said, when you climb Mount Sustainability, it's important to keep looking at the progress you're making. You know, we gotta look at the top of the mountain for sure, but let's look at the progress we're making. If we can switch the consciousness on smoking, on the rights of women, on all of these other issues that we've begun to change, we can change our consciousness about everything. And when we do, guess what? The world changes around us. Marriage equality is another one. Huge, question. that just happened. We're talking about energy and consciousness at the Commonwealth Club. Let's have our next audience question. All right, well, thank you both for uh, your insight and light on these matters. Uh, it's kind of my life mission to work in entertainment and media, and I heard you say earlier in the talk that as consciousness shifts, uh, the entertainment and media and what we see will shift. I was wondering kind of twofold here, if you think that as consciousness shifts, there's definitely going to be a market in entertainment and media for more cause-related issues, bringing things like this to awareness of people. And then on top of that, the development of uh, ionospheric communications, if that will help connect the world more, so that way we can have more conversations like this. Deepak Chopra. You know, as you look at marketing, it shifted from retail marketing to what we call internet marketing. So, you know, 
It's still happening, of course. Uh, you see the emergence of Amazon. But Amazon is a kind of marketing where you go and you decide what you want to buy, just like you go to Walmart or whatever and you decide uh, what you want to buy. Uh, that kind of marketing then shifted to um, what we call brand marketing, where the celebrities, you know, people go and say, so what's Magic Johnson uh, wearing uh, these shoes? So uh, I want to buy that too. So the brand marketing came. Right now, um, it's moving to what is called story marketing. Um, story marketing means that does this product of this store uh, or this service actually have a story that moves me emotionally? So if I have two brands of coffee that I'm going to buy, and this one is coming from Guatemala, but it's also empowering a village out there, uh, and they cost the same, or even if this one is a little more expensive, people will tend to buy this. So this is where uh, uh, entertainment and media comes in, to speak uh, very eloquently with stories. And, you know, good stories, of course, are mythical stories. They have good guys and they have bad guys. They have the hero's uh, call. They have challenges. They, you know, they have breakdowns. But in the end, the story always is, you reach a happy ending and you come back to tell everybody about it. So that's where entertainment can help us. Next question, welcome. Thank you for being here, really appreciate it. I look for the top 50 green cities in the United States. Sacramento is the number one green city right now. And the main reason is they're using biodigesters for their food down there. Food waste is a huge problem in this country. They're taking food waste and they're turning it into fuel for vehicles. And I was wondering what your thoughts were as far as the trend in the country, North America, for biodigesters. Yeah, so in the book, Freedom from Midi Soil, we talk about bio, it's that, that came out about eight and a half years ago. And one of the trends we thought, which was huge, was biodigesters. Uh, simply because it takes, it's very low technology. Uh, it just takes sunshine in a black thermos bottle, if you will, metaphorically and uh, a few enzymes help accelerate the process, but in three weeks you can take almost any kind of organic material and turn it into a fairly high grade of methane. And if you don't do that, by the way, that same methane degrades over time and becomes part of global warming. So you're actually recycling something that needs to get put away. Um, so di global digesting is huge. There are two microgrids that are successful in the world right now. One is in UC San Diego. The very place doing the research he's talking about runs off a microgrid which saves $8 million a year by disconnecting from the grid. Think about that savings in one little location. The other one is in Germany, and biodigesting is a big part of it because in that cold climate, they can't get enough photovoltaic. So biodigestion is clearly a big part of this, and if you want to talk about it later afterwards, I'd love to share with you how it could also solve the groundwater problem in the Midwest from all the pig farms and whatnot that are polluting the groundwater, because there's a way that it could solve that too kind of emulating the recycling that Deepak Chopra yeah. talked about earlier. It's like recycling things, but yeah. being more conscious about it. Let's have our next question. Welcome to Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. It's an honor and joy to be here. I have a question. I totally get the whole discussion about self-transformation leading to universal abundance. I think the opportunity is bridging that gap. A lot of people like to see things in a tangible format and are visual, etc. 
I just want to get some perspective on how one can make that happen and hear your thoughts on how one can bridge that gap in a tactical, tangible manner. Ronaldo Brutico, some specific steps people can take to make this happen. Well, I think the first thing is recognize that you are your only best advocate. Deepak and I have worked for 20 years now in the academy together on a variety of issues. Nothing has raised to the level of urgency the way he and I feel about climate change. So we don't have 100 years to get this right. We don't even have 25 years to get this right. We've got to turn this around immediately. And so I would say anybody who doesn't recognize the sense of urgency we're trying to create this morning or we're calling for, please do some more study, do some more thinking, do some more inquiry. It starts with you. And find out why this is probably the most vital thing you can do. Because the truth is, no seven-year-old grandson of his has a chance right now. Jigar Shah wrote the book Solar Wealth, and basically he grew up in India in the formative years of his childhood, and then he grew up here. And he says he used to hear the Gayatri Mantra every day in his family. I don't know how many people know about the Gayatri Mantra, but it's a mantra invoking the energy of the sun. And he grew up um, thinking, even as a child, if the sun can apply all this energy for uh, hundreds of millions of years to come, why aren't we harnessing it? And this, of course, the answer was there aren't any economic incentives, and um, you know the, you have special interest groups and all the usual things, you know. But then he decided to create financial instruments where you could own your own solar energy, you could save on your bills, and you could get wealthy. And so here he is. I think he's just turned 40. He's a young uh, billionaire, as far as I know. And he's making a difference in the world right now, uh, talking about solar wealth. So it takes creativity. It takes action. But it also takes love. Where love without action is uh, meaningless. And action without love is irrelevant. But when you have all this creativity and love and action at the same time, you create miracles, as he did. We have to end it there. Our thanks to Deepak Chopra, mind-body physician and author of The Soul of Leadership, and Ronaldo Brutico, president of the Chopra Foundation. I'm Greg Dalton. I'd like to thank everyone in this room and listening to this on podcast and radio for coming and listening today and improving and fortifying your DNA and your brain and joining us in this conversation. <laughs> thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Climate One is the sustainability initiative at the Commonwealth Club of California, a nonprofit and nonpartisan organization. Our executive producer is Greg Dalton, and Jane Ann Chen is the producer. Assistant producers are Alyssa Kerr and Danielle Torrent. The audio engineer is Andre Hurd. The Commonwealth Club CEO is Dr. Gloria Duffy. Join us next time for a conversation about America's energy, economy, and environment. To understand any of them, you have to understand them all. <laughs>